0: listening to the 123 show with me Noreen May, on this Thursday afternoon and since it's Thursday we sometimes like to do uh, something a bit technology related uh, for a bit of Tech Thursday so in the next 15 minutes or so we'll be talking about EdTech or EduTech which is basically the practice of introducing IT tools into the classroom to create a more engaging and inclusive learning experience and especially this year we've seen a rise in them due to the pandemic and more teachers are using various tools to engage and facilitate learning for their students. And to talk more about this topic, I'm super delighted to be joined by David Tate, the CEO of Mandarin Matrix, which is an educational technology company which specializes in Chinese as a second language and Chinese as a foreign language. Welcome to the program, David, and thank you very much for joining us this afternoon.
1: Hi, Noreen. It's great to be on the show this afternoon. Um, thanks very much for the opportunity.
0: Great. And we are uh, hopefully streaming this interview onto the Facebook page as well. Noreen Mayor on RTHK Radio 3. So our listeners, uh, feel free to join us there as well. And you can put any questions you have about this uh, directly to David. So um, COVID-19 has sort of resulted in, in school closures uh, uh, all across the world. Uh, while countries are sort of uh, at, at different points of, of COVID-19 infection rates, Um, I was reading that some 1.2 billion children in 186 countries were basically affected by school closures during the pandemic. And in Hong Kong alone, we've seen that. Schools have been closed uh, since February uh, with a brief opening in June. And hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, set to return this month. Um, You've been in the industry for for a while now. What are some of the impacts of COVID-19 that you've seen in the education sector?
1: um well first of all um i think your data is actually right i mean it's 1.2 billion kids it's 90 percent of the world's students were locked down back basically in the middle of april and um no one was expecting that um not least the edtech companies and so don't think that i'm going to talk about our brilliance i'm actually going to talk about the fact that we've been caught napping just as much as everybody else um edtech is also one of these sort of strange terms I and mean, what do we really mean by it um and if you think about it, EdTech's actually been around for a long time. I was just doing a little bit of checking up. And, you know, the Chinese abacus was invented in the Han dynasty in the second century BC. And I think for the listeners, that's probably a good starting point as where EdTech really came from. Um, however, I would say that most recently, we've really been evolving quickly because of COVID. Um, and, you know, a lot of parents assume that after the school um, summer break, everything will be back to normal but it isn't going to be like that. In fact, it's never going to be normal again, I wouldn't say, and the kids aren't back. And so whatever with this ed tech online experiences, it's gonna be here to stay for some time. Um, And so just to give a little bit of context, I would imagine that we're always going to be living with a sort of blended educational model into the future. And that's gonna be a combination when schools do open up again, of the kids being back in the classroom, but also digital in constant support. And that is not going to be something which is going to evaporate just because of COVID. Um, and I also think that the educational establishment themselves, who much like the tech companies were caught napping by this, they're gonna to have to be ready to keep on addressing this. And that isn't just because of future waves of COVID, it's because the expectation from the market is now going to be that we're embracing technology solutions as part of the overall educational landscape.
0: Yeah, I like the way you you said they were caught napping. I mean, and and the demands are increasing. I mean, what sorts of demands are are you sort of seeing?
1: Well, I mean, I can only really speak about um, Mandarin because we're very focused on um, teaching that as a second language. Um, And I suppose what we found out is that um, technology is vitally important to facilitate the kids in their learning. Um, We actually started in this about eight years ago um, in the print space. And we originally um, were asked by one of the big education groups to come up with a guided reading program for second language Mandarin. And so we came up with six little 10-page books. Um, And they then said, oh, we like those, we'll have 12. And I said, actually, we really like them because we have 72. He said, whoa, what's happening? And so what we then realized was that there was a a huge market for this particular sector, which is Mandarin. And so we now have, I think, slightly over 1,500 of them. Um, and about 30,000 tests and exercises. So from where we came from, our experience has been that we took something which was a standard education and took it in steps into the digital format. And we now have a platform that allows kids basically from K to 12, and so that means from five-year-olds up to 18-year-olds, to learn Mandarin online. Um, Mandarin's a tricky subject, and I think any parent listening whose kids are doing homework will know it's a tricky subject. It's not always the most popular subject. Um, and in going into the digital space, we've um, realised that it isn't simply the, the question of um, how to support the child in their learning. It's we've got to help a whole, whole lot of different people using tech. And so the student has to be at home maybe learning and they have to have something which is interesting enough. And if you're starting with a difficult, dry subject to begin with, um, we've got to work harder to make sure we make it interesting for them. Um, I think the second thing is that teachers now have to be able to teach from anywhere. They used to be in their comfort zone in the classroom with their materials, with their information boards, with their textbooks. Well, that's now over for the moment, but it's always going to be a little bit different going forward. So we have to learn how to support the teachers in a meaningful way so that we're supporting their pedagogical frameworks, so how they're teaching and how the kids are learning. And that means that the outcomes that the kids are getting are the ones that they'd also be getting if they were in the classroom. Um, that data can be collected from technology, we can cover some of the things that a teacher would do, but we're not trying to replace teachers with technology, we're trying to help teachers, we're trying to help students. And then one of the um, stakeholders, who I also mentioned is the parent, the forgotten stakeholder, that the poor mum or dad, um, who's stuck at home at the moment, um, trying to support their children in a home learning environment, all the tech issues that that faces, and if it's trying to help them learn a modern foreign language, which they don't even speak themselves, um, they're going to have a tough time. And hopefully we're here to help them as well.
0: I mean, it sounds it sounds like there's so many different stakeholders at stake, not just the children who are trying to learn. On one hand, um, teachers got to be able to, to use it as well as parents. I mean... Um, how did your well I guess you can only speak from your business uh, perspective but how has your business or, or other competitors that you've seen found sort of new opportunities during the pandemic because as you mentioned just now you you know maybe some some, some, some people in the industry were caught napping but because of the increased demand you've had to constantly evolve uh, to, to meet uh, various demands so it, it's on a twofold really you've had to learn yep. to adapt to, to more demand and to quickly get things um, up to scratch.
1: Yeah, and it's been um, a pretty fast um, learning curve. Whilst You can hear about people being locked down and not doing anything at work. It's been totally opposite for us and I imagine all of our competitors and everyone else in our sector. So basically when the pandemic hit, um, we've been in Hong Kong for quite a while now and we support a lot of schools, um, but most of our interest at the time was actually not looking into Hong Kong. But when the pandemic hit, we Went to all the schools and said, Hey, you have um, to look inward,
0: help? yeah.
1: And we looked inward, we said, Can we help? Um, and basically, within the first um, eight weeks, um, we ended up, I think, bringing on about 40 new schools, and some of them very, um, with small interest, but overall, about 6,700 new learners jumped onto the program because we said, Have it for free, have it for free for the moment, because we can come and if you like it, sell it to you later. But let's get you on board, let's help the kids who are at home, and we'll do whatever we can to support you. Um, so that was just picking up six thousand seven hundred in a sort of a two-month period over here. In the US, where we've been doing a lot of work supporting dual language and martial programs, and you'd be amazed at how many children are learning Mandarin in the United States. Um, we ended up supporting twelve thousand five hundred kids just in the state of Utah. And working with the state. Board of Education, we were supporting these kids for three hours of Mandarin learning per day. We're now supporting kids in 29 states in the U.S., um, not all quite as much as Utah, but Arizona and California are big. So that kept us pretty busy, and we have a small team in America. Um, and then we were approached at the end of March um, by the Department for Education in the United Kingdom, who are running something called the Mandarin Excellence Program, where they're trying to get 5,000 um, students a year to past A-level Mandarin. And so working with um, University College London, um, we've basically onboarded 77 schools in England um, to bring them on board supporting them in their lockdown periods. And bearing in mind, sometimes they're locked down and sometimes they're not. So you've got to be able to toggle between one and the other. Um, and so those were opportunities forced upon us, but equally we were then approach from all sorts of places saying, we've got Mandarin programs, can you help us too? So, one of the things which we then did was we looked at our own platform and said, well, it's good, it's fit for purpose, it's working, but how else could we make it better? So one of the things we did is we started changing all the navigation. And this isn't just the sort of scrolling around navigation. This is every line of Mandarin text. We now have available in Spanish and French and Japanese and Arabic.
0: So, you've branched out to other languages too. So,
1: now we're not going to, we don't teach those languages, but what we allow for is a child whose first language is Spanish to learn Mandarin from Spanish. Or if you're French, you learn from French, or if you're an Arabic speaker, is this idea that you'd have to learn English first to go and learn Mandarin is just weird. So it's beholden us as the EdTech to to see how well we can actually help the learner, whatever their mother tongue is. So in terms of opportunity, um, I think second week of January, we had about 28,000 users, and When I checked with my CTO a couple of days ago, we were up at 61,000 users. So we've almost doubled in size in terms of the number of users actually on the platform. Um, And it doesn't mean that there aren't um, problems with it. It just means that we've been expanding rapidly Grab the opportunity
0: as it was pushed in front of us. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about those uh, challenges as well. I, I find it so fascinating. I mean, congratulations on the expansion of, of business, but at the same time, um, you know, wh- where you are you employing more people, um, and and during COVID, how difficult is it to expand your team? Because as you mentioned just now, um, there's more demand in America alone. You went from just Utah to another 28 states, and then the UK. Yeah. Um, so you've you've got to have more technical support so where are you getting these guys from
1: um it's um called looking like a swan which means that we look graceful on the top but a little paddling (laughs) feature goes so fast underneath you have no idea and if i said anything else my staff wouldn't believe me so there you go so um yeah we we do have a team in the states and my chief operating officer um fabulous lady called ashling um she was caught out by covid in belfast in northern ireland so we're actually running the company from three continents at the moment because people can't get back because of the lockdown. Of so there are business administrative issues, let alone educational issues on top of it. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, whatever we're doing in EdTech and whatever the limitations are, um, and I think it's important to r- realize we're all caught up in this in a slightly you know, challenged way. But what we are trying to do is basically work hand in hand with the educators, with the teachers, with the great heads of Chinese departments, with the administrators, and principals, um, so that we collectively come out and we navigate whatever the limitations are. And it can be anything from someone not having, you know, their Zoom working properly, or they're having too much bandwidth being clogged up in their house because everyone's at home doing a lot that. So we have to be prepared for that. But we also have to make sure that what we're actually providing online um in mind it is confined in many ways to what a computer can do, uh, isn't too repetitive. And we don't want to end up boring the students. And I think ed tech and online education fatigue is going to be a real issue that um people on the innovation side should begin to address. And I think we can, you know, talk about things like gamification so that we uh, use things like games for children to uh, but there's a, a danger in going too far down that route. Because we have to make sure that the educational outcomes that the students are getting are still the same ones which they would be achieving were they in a normal classroom with the supervision of a great teacher. So I think one of the limitations we have is that we have to keep an eye constantly to what the educational goals are, and we don't let kids down. Now, we've heard about the problems they've had with international examinations and local examinations and what the outcomes were based on against expectation. But that actually does extend to the entire educational um, experience that a child goes through. And, and it's, I think, holding us to make sure that where we are limited by the tech, we expand it to best fit, what helps children learn. I yeah. think we keep a focus on that.
0: It's... Too it's sort of a double-edged sword. I mean, on one hand, it really is a great tool and, and it facilitates, especially now with distance learning and, and online learning. But at the same time, you mentioned at the beginning, it's not really a method that replaces uh, conventional teaching. It's not meant to replace the, the the teachers. At the same time, teachers these days um, need to rely on on educational tools. I've posted this question onto the Facebook page. Uh, feel free to join us there. Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, Neha Uh, says um i use nearpod um it's amazing um i it's amazing i use it for mental maths you can see the children write their answers and it helps me access in real time and see misconceptions Uh, this informs my planning and understand which children i need to work with to help and which children already understand um and uh kelly writes it to say uh Peer Deck uh, has been great for student engagement. Seesaw, Flipgrid, I tend to pick up Ed. EdTech Ideas on Twitter or listening to podcasts. Uh, Cult of uh, Pedagogy is uh, brilliant. Uh, many thanks uh, for your comments. And it's true, you're, you're seeing, uh, we're seeing a lot of teachers sort of uh, picking up ideas and it's really a self-learning uh, period for them as well because you know, teachers, uh, do, you know, they have official training with, with teaching itself, but really this is a new ball game. They're having to do research on various tools that they think might work and it can be a bit of trial and error.
1: Yeah, it can be very traumatic as well. And, um, you know, I, I love that comment about Neopod, because I think Neopod is a fantastic platform. And in fact, we ran um, virtual summer camps in the US this summer using our platform but embedded within Neopod, so that we could um, put the tutor or the teacher into, the, into actual play rather than just the, the database side of it. And, and I think that there are some really powerful learning management systems and delivery platforms out there which are going to make the teacher's life easier. Um, at the end of the day, though, um, the learning management system is one problem. It's still going to be down to the content that's being parted to the learner. I think that's where we're working collaboratively um, with different platforms that we can uh, provide a better and better service to the learner and actually to the teacher because, you know, we're not just about helping the student, we're helping the teacher as well.
0: Yeah, and I mean, so what is the future of edtech that doesn't involve edtech fatigue, like you said earlier, you know, because it's going ahead on full steam and many people are embracing it. But there comes to a point where, um, you know, you've got, ed te- you've got tools for maths, you've got tools for Mandarin, you've got tools for, for science. Um, it can be a bit overwhelming for students, not to mention the amount of screen time that's already added uh, to the regular. So what is the future of edtech and how can businesses evolve uh, to make sure that, that they meet the, the proper demand? Of students and teachers
1: very good um, question Maurena and basically, I think we we'll see some consolidation where schools and um, learners want to begin to um uh, consolidate the number of packages and for instance the way that they log on, uh, and so there there are now um single log on solutions which you can then hang the rest of the platforms which are given to school and, to and I think that that will make it less bewildering and. You, if you think about every time you go onto a new platform, it's going to take you 30 seconds to log onto it. If you're doing that every day all week onto five different platforms, it's going to get pretty tedious. So I think we can actually help um, by collaborating more with each other within yeah. um, I do think that uh, there will be new approaches coming out quite quickly. And I think you know the classroom in the cloud sort of approach where everything from live classes through to online labs through the project work through the assessment all being on the cloud, I think that will become a very much more uh, effective norm for people, and they won't be worried that um, a lot of stuff's being held out there um from our own development plans um you know we believe quite strongly that the, the education story goes beyond uh, the current uh, client base that we have, and we're working with partners up at the science Park to look at how we use AI for instance to develop um, really reactive avatars and bots that support one-on-one management. In fact, rather than you seeing me on a screen, you would have a, basically an avatar, which would be fully responsive and actually come up with linguistic support that you might need as you go to the manager. And these are some distance away, but uh, similar technologies already exist. I don't think that education, which is typically the fastest to adopt tech, um, has got nearly to where it's going to get to in the next... Um, 18 to 12, uh, 24 months. But I think what we will see in EdTech are, are totally new approaches, which will involve blending of this online uh, classroom. And so there's a more seamless transition between the two. You can get to the point that the avatar actually looks like your teacher. And, so <laughs> your time. and then your, your avatar will be working 24 hours, seven for you. it should be a um, huge, big sort of disruptive point.
0: Not not only will the students dream of their teachers, but also the avatar uh, of their teachers. (laughs)
1: Dream or nightmare, we can discuss that at another time. (laughs)
0: <laughs> exactly, uh-huh. a topic for another day. But before I let you go, David, I mean, what's one thing that you've really learned throughout the pandemic? Or what's one thing that you know now that you wish you had known at the beginning of the pandemic? Uh, <laughs> or what, what a piece of advice that you would give to, to other people in this industry that you've learned throughout uh, COVID? Well, I would
1: say that you have to be incredibly reactive and you, um, <laughs> you have to constantly listen to what the customer wants. And the customer in this case is quite bewildered customers the school or the customers the parents at home but we've got to be in a position where we can support them and we can't say this is the only way we do it you have to do it every way they want it and and so that that in many ways is um hong kong is a great place to be doing this because we're actually in quite an innovative um tech environment where you have a lot of new companies and startups that support this sort of effort and i think collaboration is certainly one of the ways forward i also think that um it's very important to keep in mind with education that um It isn't like other businesses. Um, Equity in education is very important. Um, Education is a birthright. It's not a gift that can be given just because you can afford it. And so as we develop these tech tools, even if we might be starting in the private sector, we should always have an eye to how we can help communities who are more disadvantaged or more remote and don't have access to great teachers, who don't have access to great materials, who may only be able to rely on a mobile network rather than a land network. So we have to be thinking way outside the box as to how we help education as a whole, rather than edtech just for normal commercial sort of purposes.
0: Well said. Well, very graceful swan, David. I wouldn't have known that, you know, you've had to expand very quickly and, and, and meet various demands. And also, you know, it's definitely not easy to be in this industry right now and teachers as well, you know, to try to engage students remotely and, and really sort of uh, taken this new normal by the horn. Um, really enjoyed chatting with you this afternoon. David, remind our listeners once again, have you got a website? How can we find out a bit more about Mandarin Matrix? Yep. If
1: you just go online and have a look from mandarinmatrix.org, um, that'll get you to have a good look at what we're up to. There. There's lots of um, YouTube videos. There's lots of information that can support you. Um, and we'll be happy to hear from everybody. And uh, thank you very much indeed, Noreen, for um, having me on the show and to all your listeners as well.
0: Thank Thank you you very much indeed. And we've been chatting with David Tate, the CEO uh, of Mandarin Matrix, which is an educational technology company that specializes in Chinese as a second language and Chinese as a foreign language. Many thanks for your time and I look forward to chatting with you again next time. Thank you very much.